Welcome, brothers and sisters, as we prepare for service. We're about five minutes away. Just have a little light music playing in the background. You can feel free to greet one another in the chat room. As we listen, let your mind gravitate towards the things of God. We've come to the last day of one week and are preparing for the start of a new week. Begin to let go of the things that have burdened your mind and your time. The things that have stolen away your attention from God. Begin to focus in upon the Lord, upon His goodness, upon His mercy, upon His grace and His power and His steadfast love. wonderful he is. Begin to lift your hands and just reflect upon the goodness of the Lord. out Saturday, close out our Sabbath rest, enter into Sunday, think of how the Lord has been good to you, think about his mercy and his grace. Father, we love you tonight, we thank you. We worship you, Lord, with our whole hearts, and we declare, Lord God, that you are the one, the true, and the only God. We ask you, Lord, to be with us tonight, 
in this service. Be with us tonight in everything we do. Be with us tonight, Lord God, and show yourself wonderful. Show forth your splendor and your power and your grace and your mercy. Transform lives tonight forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, brothers, sisters, friends, welcome to this July 20th edition of Church Without Walls in the year of our Lord, 2019. Um, before we get started, I just want to encourage you. I don't know what you need tonight. I don't know what you're seeking or what brought you here, but God knows. I have a word from the Lord for you tonight, but right now, let's push aside our problems, our woes, our desires to hear, oh God, you have a word for me, and rather prepare our hearts to worship our Lord in spirit and truth. Let's worship. Let's worship. We're going to open up with Jesus. What a Savior. What a brother. What a friend. Lifter of the lowly. God, you meet me where I am. Your heart knows no borders, knows no walls. You're constantly moving toward me with open arms. I've never known a love like yours. Hallelujah. What a beautiful way you've shown us. Hallelujah. Let's worship. Yes, Lord. Glory. Lyrics will be up in the chat room. God bless you. Welcome. Let's worship.
But you know it's true. I've never known love like this.
Worship is not music. Worship is an attitude of heart. So begin to give him your worship. Come on. Come on. If the music stopped right now, it just stopped, what would your worship sound like? Come on. Right there where you are, begin to worship, 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 your worship, come on, your worship, let him hear the sound of your voice, let him hear the clapping of your hands, let him hear the cry of your heart, saying how awesome, how wonderful, how glorious, come on, just for a moment, just for a moment, just for a moment, just for a moment. Now say, I've never known love like yours.
on. He knows what you have need of. So why are we worried? Come on, why? 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 Cast your cares upon the Lord. Your show is scheduled to start in one minute, six seconds. Until showtime. Yes. Yes. Glory. 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 Saints of God, we're going to go to one more song of worship. Um, again, this song may be new to some of you. Uh, the song is simply called Forgiven. And we're just going to go to this song of worship. You want to try the str- we're going to celebrate. Your show will go live in five seconds. Four, three, two, one. Blog Talk Radio. Pardon that interruption as we connect our uh, live call in line. But like I said, we're just going to go to the song of worship. And then after that, we're going to be going to the word of the Lord in the gospel of Luke chapter seven. Um, right toward the end. I'll tell you where I'm going when we get there. But for right now, let's go to one more song of worship. Forgiven. I, I want you to listen for a moment before you sing this song. In case the music or the style is a little different than what you're used to and throws any of you off, please listen. I'm the one who held the nail. It was cold between my fingers. I've hidden in the garden. I've denied you with my very lips. God, I fall down to my knees with a hammer in my hand. You look at me with arms open. Forgiven. Child, there is freedom from all of it. Say goodbye to every sin. You are forgiven. I've done things I wish I hadn't done. I've seen things I wish I hadn't seen. Just the thought of your amazing grace. And I cry, Jesus, forgive me. Let's worship. Let's worship. Let's worship. Remember, after this, we're going to the word of the Lord, Luke, chapter 7. Get ready. I'm the one who held the nail. It was cold between my fingertips. I've hidden in the garden. I've denied you with my Shut 
Sisters, I have a word from the Lord for you. My message tonight who is forgiven much loves much. Who is forgiven much loves much. And conversely, who is forgiven little loves little. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, we come to you tonight knowing that you are the one, the true and the only God. We come to you knowing, Lord, that you alone can set our hearts ablaze. You alone, O God, can forgive us, wash us, cleanse us, make us whole. It is you, Lord God, to whom we look. It is you, Lord God, alone who can set us free. It is you. And so, Lord, we come to you tonight. In the wonderful, the holy, the glorious name of Jesus. Recognizing, Lord, that to come in that name, we have to come through the rent veil of his flesh. We recognize, Lord God, the cost of our forgiveness. We recognize, Lord, the cost of your mercy. We recognize, Lord, tonight that it is not, O God, that you wink at our sin or fail to notice our sin. It's not that... You become senile in old age and you can't see it or hear it. No. He who made the eye sees. He who made the ear hears. He who made the mind knows all things. And yet knowing the depth of our depravity, you chose to pay the price for it. And by your stripes, we are made whole. 
And so we come to you tonight, Lord God, trembling, out of fear, out of joy, out of repentance, and saying, Abba, Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your grace. May your word hit its mark tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, brothers, sisters, and friends listening, um, in my mind, though it's really not that important, I conceive of this message as a return to our series on the parables of Jesus. There's a parable that Jesus told to a Pharisee named Simon in order to set a foundation for what Christ was about to do. And unlike some of the other parables we've talked about, though he does not begin this parable by saying the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is here, as he tells this parable. And then he manifests the power of the parable in his actions. And so we're going to talk about both the parable and what Jesus does that the parable was setting the stage for and in these things show forth the power both of God's forgiveness and the grave, grave, grave danger of one of the myriad of false gospels and apostasies being taught today. Please hear me. Please bear with me these next moments in time. For I believe that they will touch and change eternity for many. I come to you with a message of love, but also of exhortation and correction, if you would hear it, then bear with me. Let me set the stage, most of you know, where we're in the seventh chapter of Luke's Gospel. Right about the 39th verse or so. And here's what happened. Jesus has been going about doing what Jesus does. Jesus is teaching, preaching, he's healing the sick, he's doing great things. A Pharisee by the name of Simon invites Jesus into his home. Now, personally, I believe if you really look at the record and you study it well, I do not believe Simon invited Jesus into his home because he believed that Jesus really was the Christ or because he believed that Jesus really was the one that he needed. I don't believe that he invited Jesus into his home to create a personal relationship and to build up something with Jesus. And for anyone who says, well, Pastor Pete, you shouldn't preach what you believe. You should preach what Scripture says. You will see in a moment that Scripture bears out my confidence in these things. You see, Simon invites Jesus to his home, and we know from the record, Simon doesn't do, it's not just that he doesn't treat Jesus in any special way, he doesn't do any of the normal things people would do at that time for a guest in his home. Yet, there is a woman. 
Now, we don't know exactly what her problem is, but we know that there's a woman who lived in the town who was a sinner. Now, given that all of us sin and fall short of the mark, the fact that she is known as a sinner tells us that her sin is both perpetual and public. Do you understand? See, if I sinned the sin once, I lied to somebody once and didn't get caught. Or maybe I went and confessed that sin to the person and apologized for having lied and I confessed to the Lord. I wouldn't be known as a liar. But if I was perpetually lying, if I ran a car dealership and constantly sold cars that were bad to unsuspecting people, if I was constantly defrauding people, if I was constantly doing wrong, if I was constantly, you know what I mean? You, you know the drug dealer on the corner is the drug dealer. The prostitute is known. The pimp is known. There are certain people, their sin is so out there. They're violent and they're fighting and they're attacking every day. They're wanted men. They're wanted women. Things of this nature. And we don't know exactly what her sin is. We know that it's not enough to get her arrested or the Romans would have arrested her. But whatever it is that she does, her reputation is now that she is a sinner. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not perpetual. But maybe it was a sin so great that once she did it, everybody knew. And no one's willing to go near her. Am I speaking to anybody tonight? You see, there may be someone listening tonight and your sin is perpetual and you've become known by your sin and you believe the lie that you could never come to Christ. You're not good enough. You're not ready enough. You're not right enough. Or maybe the reality is not that, but you've sinned the sin so big. You've done something so bad and it's had so many consequences and impacted so many people and wrecked so many lives that nobody wants anything to do with you and you don't even want anything to, to do with yourself. You border on the line of suicide and wonder why you're even here and you believe in your heart, Christ could never forgive me. If either of those two dimensions describe you, then you are this woman in the story. So she comes and she does something fascinating. As Jesus is reclining at the table eating his meal, she comes up behind him lays at his feet and begins to cry and wet his feet with her tears. She then begins to clean them, to wipe them with her hair. And she has some precious ointment. And she breaks open the box of her ointment And she begins to anoint him. Yes, this is the woman with her alabaster box. Some of you know the story. And so Simon looks at this. 
And instead of asking any questions or instead of wondering what does this woman think Jesus can do for him, he judges Jesus in his heart. And you see, this is one of the proofs of Jesus' deity, he always knew what was in men's hearts. He always knew what people were thinking, whether they opened their mouths or not. And in his heart and in his mind, he said, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what type of woman this is that is touching him. He would have known that she's a sinner. And so Jesus tells his parable. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he tells the story of a man, a creditor of great wealth. And he had two people who owed him money. He says, one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had no way of paying, neither one could pay. They had no way they were ever going to pay this debt. The man graciously decides to forgive them both. And Jesus asked the question, Which of them will love him most? Simon responds, I suppose he who forgave, whom he forgave the most. And Jesus says, you have judged rightly. And then he goes on to explain to Simon, look at how you've treated me. He says to Simon, basically, I came into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, yet this woman has not ceased to wet my feet with her. Yet this woman has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no ointment for my head, yet she has not ceased to anoint my feet. You gave me no kiss, yet she has not ceased anointing. She has not ceased kissing my feet since I came in. And then he says something that shocks everybody in the room. For no one can forgive sin except God. The idea that men could forgive sin was unheard of. Yet Jesus says, Wherefore I say to you, her sins which are many, her sins are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgives sins also? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A couple of things I want to deal with first. First, I want to deal with the parable itself. There are two people. They have a debt. See, the reality is the debt is equal. 
though one is greater than the other. See, it's equal in the sense that neither has the ability to pay their debt. And the reality is every single one of us, every human being on earth, owes a sin debt to God which none of us can repay. The problem is, one man sees his debt as less than the other because he doesn't see his inability to pay. He sees himself as not having done much wrong. And Jesus tells us that that one who is forgiven much will love much, but the one who has been forgiven little will love little. This is critically important to us today. And I want to talk about an apostasy that has infiltrated much of what calls itself the Church of Jesus Christ tonight. And I want to explain to you why it's dangerous. One of the things that has come out of the modern sort of church movement, this modern ecumenism of our day, the modern sort of hyper grace of our day, and I've actually been in supposed houses of God and heard men preach this. That you see, when you got saved, it's this idea that if you pray a simple prayer of salvation, automatically you're saved, every sin is forgiven. And I don't want to get too deep into that controversy yet. The reality is, just as no single act of any kind saves you. No simple prayer because you mouth the words. This is not magic. It's not abracadabra, open sesame, and the door to heaven opens. It's not that I mouth the words. It's that I believed in my heart that I was brought to conviction and repentance, that I turned from my sin and turned to Christ, and I confessed him as Lord, and the proof of my faith is that I live it out. Notice, for example, Jesus will use the woman, the sinner here, as an example of the one who owed the greater debt. He says to her, the very last thing he says to her, your faith has saved you. Well, how did Jesus know her faith? Because look at what she did. She didn't write a note. She didn't walk into the room and say, Jesus, I confess her heart, her brokenness, her sitting at her feet, her anointing of his feet, all the things that she did, and I'm going to get into what she did in a moment. But her actions showed her faith. That's why James says faith without works is dead. He's not building a works-based religion. No, the reality is, no, there's no work I can do. Getting baptized for the sake of baptism won't save me. Giving money to the poor for the sake of giving money away. These are all good things. And yes, as a Christian, you're going to be obedient to the word of God. But if I tell you I'm a Christian because I don't drink anymore, I'm a Christian because I went and got baptized and followed some ritual. If I tell you I'm a Christian because I did something, that's false religiosity and that's putting my trust in me. But if I tell you I went into the waters of baptism, in obedience to Christ because of what he did to save my soul, that's salvation. 
If I tell you because I'm saved, I don't drink. Because I'm saved, I don't cuss. Because I'm saved, I don't steal. Because I'm, you see, it's not the cart leading the horse. It's salvation creating Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. What a transformation. Christ in me, the hope of glory, working out that hope on the exterior. So her actions showed forth her faith. But why were her actions so deep and why her love and her faith so deep? Jesus himself says, because she was forgiven much. So the apostasy has entered the churches. Once you get saved, once you pray this prayer, you're forgiven. Now, the reality is, if you prayed that prayer, if you made that confession in faith, there's a transformation of the heart and of the internal character, and your life begins to change. And there are good things you will do, but what they say is this now. Once you prayed that prayer, and you became a Christian, got baptized, you did all stuff, you became a Christian. They say, ready? When you sin, God does not see your sin. This is the lie that they tell. I've heard this preached by various televangelists. I, like I said, I've been in houses, supposed houses of God, where this is being taught by men who call themselves men of God. Because you're saved, God cannot even see your sin. You can't do wrong. So it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter because God can't see it. You prayed the magic prayer. And now you're like, you know, it's like an invisibility spell. Now God can't see you're wrong. And some of you, I can even see some of the reactions on, uh, think this is crazy. No, listen, this is really being taught. This is really being taught. But what most people don't see is the true danger. See, people will jump on this and say, well, that's not scriptural, that's not biblical. You're right, it's not. But there's a greater danger to this being taught. Remember what Jesus is teaching here. He that loveth much is the one who was forgiven much. You see, the reality is what scripture tells us. The new covenant explained in the old covenant, in the books of Isaiah and in the book of Ezekiel tells me that when I become a Christian in the New Testament it's put this way if any man be in Christ he is a new creation behold old things pass away all things become new and this newness of life is from Christ who is in us reconciling himself to the world and has given us the ministry of reconciliation if anyone be in Christ, their new creation. And so how this new creation is outlined is that we're given a new spirit and we're given a new heart and our old whole hard heart is taken out. And so what scripture bears out is once a man or a woman gets saved, because they're saved, because they now have this newfound love for Christ, which God himself has placed in, within their heart. They have this desire to do right. They actually become hypersensitive to sin. One of the great observations I've made in over 20 years as a Christian 
is if you attend a church where they give altar calls weekly. It's those saints who have lived this out the longest, who have had the greatest dedication to Christ, who are often the first to run to the altar when sin is preached about because they're so hypersensitive. So if you preach on adultery, they're running to the altar not because they committed adultery. Their eye wandered this week, and they know that that wandering eye, that feeding of the eye with what we call eye candy, can eventually lead to spiritual diabetes that will lead them to sin. They're aware of this. If you preach on murder, they're convicted by every person they've been angry at because they know that Jesus taught that the root of murder is anger. And if you've been angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. And oh my God, and they're running to the altar. But you see, this message of hyper grace, God can't see your sin, teaches men and women falsely that if you pray the prayer of salvation, you have no sin of which to be forgiven. And when God showed me this, when I was praying and, 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 and this was revealed to me as, as I'm looking at this and I'm praying, it, it, shook, it shook me to my core. And for the first time it hit me. Why would the enemy want to infiltrate the church with this lie? Because if I believe that God can't see my sin, not only do I become hardened against conviction, not only do I become comfortable with my sin, but I garner the false belief that my sin is not sinful. And I'm telling you, I've actually heard people teach this. If you're an unbeliever and you sin, your sin is sinful. But if you're a believer and you sin, God can't see it. There's nothing wrong with it. I've heard this lie preached. But the danger is Jesus himself says here, he who is forgiven little loves little. And so you wonder why it says in the last days, the love of many, in fact, the true translation is the love of the most will grow cold. And it's actually talking about believers. Why is the love of believers growing cold? Why is it that our hearts are growing cold toward the God we love? Why is it that people will say Jesus is their Lord, but they don't have two minutes to read their Bible in a week? Why will they say Jesus is their Lord, but they will not do the things he admonished them to do? Why do they call Jesus Lord, but they don't have time to pray, and they don't have time to read the Bible, and they don't have time to fellowship, and they don't care about other Christians? Why is it that you can attend a church week in and week out for months on end and get sick and nobody cares? Why is it that people can sit through a sermon on the word of the living God and then curse out their brother in the parking lot because they feel like they got cut off as they're trying to exit. Why can we go to church for an hour and 20 minutes on a Sunday? It's so sad that we've cut church down to an hour. Some church is 45 minutes now. So sad. But why is it that we can go to church for whatever length of time? And then immediately live there and be talking all the dribble of the world and go out to worldly movies and talk about the world and the world and the world. 
Why is it that we can call ourselves Christian, but denigrate our brothers and sisters on the other side of the aisle because they disagree with us politically? Why is it that we can sit on our spiritual high horses and declare that anyone who's not part of my denomination and anyone who doesn't go to my church and anyone who's not part of my group, and anyone, they're going to hell and not care that these souls perish? Because the love of many grows cold as they learn not to see their sin. See, the more aware you are of your own sin, the harder it is to judge anybody else. People ask me sometimes, why am I so forgiving? Why am I so merciful? I've been called foolish by people for the level at which I will make excuses for people. Why? Why are you always defending everyone? Why are you always forgiving? Why are you always like this? Why are you always like that? Can I tell you the truth? I am not by nature a very forgiving person. I used to be a vindictive, spiteful little person. That kind of person who if you did me wrong, four years later, I'm still thinking about the wrong and planning how I'm going to get you back and looking for an open opportunity. That's who I was until I met Christ. The closer I got to Christ, the more I got to know him, the more aware I became of my sins of the past, the more convicted and wretched I felt. But here's the, the, the icing on the cake, if you want to call it that. The longer I walk with Christ, the more aware I am of my current sin. And I tremble in amazement that my God loves me. I tremble in amazement that the Lord God can call an imperfect, insignificant person like myself and give him a platform and give him a pulpit and bless him with children and a wife who love him. That he would open doors for me to preach the gospel. That he would be so gracious and he would be so kind and he would be so merciful because I know how imperfect I am. And because I see the depth of the depravity of my sin, I love him more every day because I'm amazed that he still loves me. I could never brag on my love for God. Because my love for God at least is reasonable. And my love for God is limited compared to what he deserves. But his love for me makes me tremble. His love for me is unfathomable. It's unreachable. I don't understand it. And that's the truth of his love for you, brother or sister. By the way, if you're a sinner... That's the depth of his love for you. You might be listening tonight and you've never accepted the lordship of Jesus Christ. You've never bent your knee to his will. You've never accepted that he's the way, the truth, and the life and the only way to the Father. You've tried to build your own staircase to heaven. You've tried with your own rituals and your own ideas and your own beliefs and you've you know, wed yourself to this and dedicated yourself to that and you've done this ritual and that thing and the other thing and the other and you think that all this is getting you to God and you've never truly bent your knee to Christ and I want you to know that God, despite all of that, loves you because the amazing thing about the love of God is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
That should cause you to tremble. That while you were murdering, while you were robbing, while you were stealing, while you were fornicating, while you were committing adultery, while you do all these things and continue to deny him, he hung on a cross. He bled through his skin, through his hands, through his head. He took on a crown of thorns because you and I think thoughts that we should never think. He let them put nine-inch nails through the center of his hand, sending pulsating, radiating, nonstop pain and anguish up and down his arms and back for three hours. Because you and I touch things and do things we shouldn't. He took nine-inch nails through his feet, pulsating the pain through his feet and through his legs and through his ankles. Because we go places we shouldn't go. He took lashes and was beaten and lacerated. He was mocked and made fun of. He was spit on and ridiculed and torn down. Because we tear people down. Because we have been insulted. Because we have been belittled or belittled others. Because of our sin, he took our sin upon himself. He was punished. Because we rob and steal God's glory by not giving him credit for the things he has done. He hung upon a cross as a common thief was sold for the price of a common slave 30 pieces of silver because we enslave ourselves we put ourselves in chains we put ourselves in bondage to sin to greed to anger to wrath to unforgiveness to all these things he loved us enough to suffer for us while we were rejecting him you see my brother my sister the danger of the modern gospel that takes sin out of the picture, that talks about the fact that God chose you because he saw how great and wonderful and special you are, takes sin out of the picture. And if you cannot see your sin, you cannot see your debt. And if you cannot see your debt, you cannot see the value of your forgiveness. Listen, if I'm driving down the road and the speed limit is 65 miles an hour, I got pulled over by a cop because I was doing 66. The cop even admits I was doing 66. And he lets me go. I'm glad he let me go. But I'm not that appreciative. I mean, I was only a mile over. And by the way, some of you live in very, very strict states where that one mile is going to cost you. I can tell you in New York State, there's a 99.9% probability I'm getting that thrown out in court. I'm not that thankful to that cop. But if I'm doing 120, by the way, I don't, I don't drive that fast. I'm just giving an example here. If I'm doing 120, 130, 140, God forbid somebody gave me a Maserati and I'm going 200 miles down the highway and I get stopped by that cop. By the way, those of you wondering, yes, there are sections of the New York State Thruway where the police have Porsches that are actually souped up and have nitrous oxide and all of that simply so that they can catch those type of speedsters. So he catches you. If he lets you go, you fall on your knees and give thanks to God because you know the penalty for that speed. 
you should lose your license. The penalty for that speed, you should go to jail. The penalty for that speed, you should pay a $1,000 fine minimum. You are thankful because you were forgiven much. You were forgiven much. And the problem of the modern gospel, whether it's the you're a nice pre person and God saw how great you were and you're not really a bad person gospel, or the, well, you know, you did some things, but it's not that bad, and now that God forgive you, he can't see your sin. What the modern gospel does in either of those two forms is it teaches you that your debt is not that great. Therefore, what Jesus did is not that big a deal, and you love him less. And that's why the love of many grows cold. Because if I love him less, I'll love you less. The more love I have for Jesus, the more I have for people, Jesus himself said. If you love me, he said this to Peter, if you love me, go feed my sheep. Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus said elsewhere that on the last day we'll talk to people about you did this and you did that. You, you visited me in prison and you helped me when I was sick and you did this, you did that. And, and when they say, wait, when did we do all these things? When you did it to the least of my people, you did it to me. See, if I love Jesus, then I love people. If I see my sin and I see how great my forgiveness is, I see how great it is that God forgave me. Then in recognition of that debt, I'm more merciful to other people. I'm more forgiving of other people. I'm less quick to wrath than I used to be. I'm less quick to anger than I used to be. I'm more easily convicted than I used to be. I'm more concerned about other people's suffering than I used to be. But if I fail to see the depth of my depravity, then I see what Jesus did as some light little thing that somebody did did someday that doesn't really matter that much I deserve heaven anyway and then pride comes in and arrogance comes in and selfishness comes in and that's why the modern gospel can preach about your best life now because after all isn't it all about me aren't I so great Jesus should have gone to the cross don't I deserve to live in a mansion don't I deserve the best car don't I deserve to have an easy life don't I deserve heaven now and a special place place in heaven when I get there because I earned it and I'm great and therefore I don't care about anyone else and I don't think about anyone else and I look down on people who are sinning and I look down on people who are suffering and I look down on those who are in bondage because I don't care they should have just been great like me and it's the most damnable heresy that's ever infiltrated the church because it inoculates you against the gospel, makes you hard-hearted towards your brothers and sisters. It's the reason why the modern church is so cold. And by the way, it's the reason why services are getting shorter. I know churches that I used to attend that when I went there, church on Sunday was two hours. Church on a Wednesday night was two hours, and sometimes we went four or five because the Spirit was moving. Those same churches today have a pre-programmed hour and ten minute service, and when the ten hour and ten is up, they're moving you out. Let's go. But I tell you right now that sermonettes build Christianettes who smoke cigarettes and soon forget everything that Jesus did for them. Hear me if you're a preacher listening to this message and you're preaching little sermonettes, you're starving your people. How dare you 
And if you've cut your worship service down to 15 minutes, and by the way, I do not judge your worship service by how long the music went on. Because I've walked into churches where the supposed worship service was 55 minutes. But in 55 minutes, Jesus' name only got mentioned once. Thank you, Jesus only got mentioned twice. I love you, Lord, never got said. The cross was never mentioned. The glory of God was never mentioned. The greatness of God was never mentioned. Every song was about me, and I'm great, and I'm an overcomer, and I'm wonderful, and I did this, and look how much God loves me, because I'm wonderful, and I deserve, and I'm having, and I'm getting ready. I even walked into church. I had to walk out. I was so disgusted. They were singing in the worship. Money cometh. Money cometh to me. Because I am faithful, because I've done what I should God deserves to pour out his blessings on me that's not worship that doesn't count so we worship the creature instead of the creator because we don't realize how much we've been forgiven of we don't realize how incredible his mercy and when I call grace well grace is that you know God just loves us so much he can't see my sin he doesn't care what I do anymore. By the way, what do we call a parent who doesn't care what their kid does? I was at the park today with my boys. Listen, I know it's very hot in New York. It was very early in the morning. I got there before the temperature went up. Don't go calling Child Protective Services. We were very careful. It was good. They were hydrated. It was all right. But early in the morning, I said, you know, boys need to run. Yeah, stop at the park. There was another dad there. Has a little, you know, daughter. He had it covered in the shade because she was only, you know, just just under a year old. But he had a three-year-old boy, and our boys are running around. And at one point, his boy and my oldest boy began throwing, you know, the mulch that they keep, you know, in the park in case a kid falls so he doesn't get hurt. And they were picking it up and, you know, dropping it down. We didn't care. You know, no one's getting hurt. But at one point... They threw this stuff into the air. Immediately, both of us got up. Me to correct my son and he to correct his. You don't throw that around. It's going to get in other kids' eyes. You don't do that. What are you doing? At one point, they were throwing this stuff on the slide. Once again, both fathers. What would that man think of me if my son was throwing this stuff in the air and throwing it on his kid and throwing it on the slide and I said nothing? What would I think of him if his kid was doing that? Either of us would have said of the other. He's a reprobate father who doesn't care what his children do. And it's blasphemous, heresy to teach that because God loves you, he doesn't care about your sin. Oh, I tell you this, your sin is amplified by the fact that you're a child of God. Because at least when I was in the world sinning and knew not God, my sin was out of, out of ignorance. My sin was out of arrogance. My sin was out of just, it was out of nature. We're born sinners. It's in our DNA to sin. But as a Christian, when I stumble, Oh, how deep the depth of that depravity. And when I see that for what it is, listen, it's not that I run in a corner and believe I lost my salvation every time I sin. But because I understand how disgusting my sin is, 
Because I understand how much my sin cost. Because I understand, that's why I wanted us to sing that song. That every time I sin, I'm the soldier with the hammer in his hand. Putting the bloody nine inch nails through my Savior's hand. I'm the man. I'm the one. And because I recognize that. I not only do my best to avoid sin, but when I sin, I run to Jesus. I don't hide from him in the garden like Adam did. I don't run away, I run to him. And I know I need to be cleansed. And it doesn't matter how small the sin, I'm convicted. And every time he forgives me, I love him more. So Jesus goes on and says, Simon, I came into your house. There are normal things that people do. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't give me any water. It's not even that you didn't wash my feet. You didn't at least give me a basin and say, hey, look, the water's over there if you want to wash. By the way, for those of you wondering, that was tradition in those days. People walked around in sandals. There were only dirt roads. It's not like today we have paved streets. But I'll give you an example, modern times. I know people who do this. They have a rule that you, you know, they don't want people wearing shoes in their house. And so, you know, they have a sign at the door. When you get there, they'll greet you at the door and ask you to remove your shoes. And if it's winter and they have, you know, stone, you know, paved floors or something like that, they have extra slippers or socks. You know, because they're concerned. They want you to be comfortable. You're in my house. You're a guest. I don't want your shoes in the house, but... I want you to be comfortable. Do you see what I mean? The tradition back then then was that you would have a basin of water by the door when you were having any kind of you know event, festive event, a dinner or anything, so that people could come in and wash. Now, if you really cared, you would actually wash their feet. Jesus says, you didn't even give me water for my feet. You didn't anoint my head. Simon was a man of resources and money, but he didn't care. He probably did this for other guests, but not for Jesus. In fact, I almost get the impression that Jesus isn't even seated at the main table, and Jesus didn't care. But you see what I mean? See, Simon's heart was hard because Simon figured, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a good man. Circumcised on the eighth day, I keep the Sabbaths, I follow the law, I keep the high holy days, I pay my tithes, I do all this. And he thought because he jumps through all the right hoops, he's not a sinner. But his judgmental heart and his arrogance he couldn't see. The hardness of his heart he couldn't see. He couldn't see them because he had been taught that these are not sins. That he deserves to act this way. And my brother and my sister, we are in danger of turning what is calling itself the Church of Jesus Christ into a gaggle of Pharisaic Simons who sit around thinking the world owes them something. Thinking Christ owes them their salvation. And as a result, the love grows cold, the services grow short, the worship is about self, the preaching becomes self-help seminars, and the church becomes more social club centered on, you know, fellowship events, how-to seminars, how to balance your budget, how to save for retirement, how to raise your kids, not that any of these, and by the way, none of these are bad things. You should be saving for retirement. You should be putting money away for a rainy day. You should be raising your kids right. 
But this is not the centerpiece of the church's concern. We deal with eternal things. Hear me, please, especially if you are a preacher. You deal with eternal things. You are not a glorified money manager. You are not a life coach. You are not a self-help teacher. You are a preacher of righteousness. Preach the gospel. Not denominational requirements, not what you heard from 30 CDs that someone gave you, not what another man taught you. Pick up your Bible, get alone with God, get a revelation and preach the truth of God's word. And convict men's hearts. And stop worrying that they don't like it if you talk more than 15 minutes. Please, everyone who knows me, anyone on this side has figured out by now, if you want 15 minutes of preaching, don't show up here. Not going to happen. We're going to go through the word. We're going to preach truth. We're going to give God equal time. We have no problem sitting through a two to three hour movie. We have no problem sitting through an hour program on television. We have no problem sitting through a 48-minute program on Netflix. Then we should have no problem listening to the word, whether it takes 40 minutes or an hour or more. By the way, those of you who just got nervous, now don't worry, I'm almost done. We're not going to be here three hours, but you understand my point. We love God. We love his word. We love to worship. And we give him our time. And we give him honor. And because we love him, we love others more. And so he goes to this woman. He says, look at her. What has she done? She began to cry so profusely that her tears, have anyone, have you ever been truly brokenhearted? And the tears flowed like giant drops filling a bucket. She's crying like this. I could imagine she's probably sobbing. She's controlling herself to not be disruptive. But she's crying hard. And as his feet are getting wet, she takes her hair, which scripture makes clear is the mantle covering of a woman. It's her honor. The symbolic power of what she did by cleaning the dirt off of Jesus' feet with her hair. I have no honor. The stuff beneath your feet is higher than me. In your presence, I reserve nothing to myself. It's like David who danced himself almost naked in the presence of the people of Israel because of his great enthusiasm and love for the Lord. And when he was questioned on, he said, and I will be even more undignified before the Lord who chose me over your father to be king. I'll be honored in front of the people. But in front of God, I reserve no dignity. Before God, I will remove the royal robes. Before God, I don't care. Because I have no honor except what he's given me. I have nothing of value except what he's given me. And she was expressing that as her hair. Washes the dirt and the crowd of the street off his feet. Then she took her alabaster box and she broke it open and she began pouring oil and anointing his feet, cleansing them, massaging them, softening them. 
anointing speaks of worship because the smell of that perfume must have filled the place. People have asked me, Pastor Pete, why is your worship so extravagant? Have you ever seen me worship? Listen, I, I do my best because I don't want to draw any attention to myself. Worship is about God. But I have a hard time just sitting in a corner, hands folded, worshiping God. I like to lift my hands. I will often begin to cry. And I know lots of people do this and people look at people like us and go, why so emotional? Worship doesn't take all that. You don't know the depth of hell he pulled me out of. You don't know the bondages he broke to get me free. You don't know how thick the bars on my prison. And you don't know how wretched and dark and black and evil the heart he took out of me. So I can't help but get excited in his presence. I can't help but get emotional. I know my emotion doesn't save me. Listen, I'm aware of that. I know my emotion doesn't impress God. But it's not some light thing he did for me. What he did for me is deep. And so I love him deeply and passionately. As do so many of you listening. So I want to warn you tonight against the spirit of the age. The spirit that says... God doesn't see your sin or your sin isn't that bad. That you're a wonderful person and God saved you because you're so great. No. We are, each and every one of us, wretched, horrible sinners. If God threw each and every one of us into hell for eternity, he would still be God and still be right and still be good. But that he chose to pay the, the price for our sin that he chose to love us and that even when we stumble, come on, can anyone say amen? When I stumble, when I fail, when I fall, the fact that he still loves me. That's why I want to sing that song. I fall down to my knees with the hammer in my hand. I just nailed you to the cross. Hebrews talks about crucifying Christ afresh to yourself. I just did it again. I betrayed you again. My sin just crucified you anew. And you stand there with open arms, an open heart, a hand extended and call me son. There is no love like the love of our God. There is no mercy. There is no grace. There is no power. Like the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't belittle that. Don't cheapen that. Please don't ever take that lightly. So I want to close right now. And I want to invite you. In Spanish, we have an interesting word for what I'm talking about. It's called menospreciar. If you break down the word, menos means less, preciar is to 
appreciate or put value on. In other words, to value less or to treat as less valuable than what something is. Si tú has menospreciado el amor de Dios, if you have devalued the love of God, if you've taken your salvation lightly, if you've taken His forgiveness of you lightly, Now, if you have not given your heart and your soul and your life to Jesus Christ, you're doing that right now by denying him what he deserves. He paid too high a price for you to think you have a right to live your own life. You have no such rights. And let me tell you now, I warn people about this all the time and I'm not trying to be hard. I'm being honest. You have no authority to make Christ the Lord of your life. He is Lord of your life. And you will either bend your knee now willingly or you'll be capped at the knees on the other side of eternity. Stop devaluing the love of God. Oh, but I'm the... No, 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 no. Don't give me that. Then give your life to Jesus. Yeah, but I don't know how to do this and I'm not ready to do that. Just give your life to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come in and make the rest right. So if you have never acknowledged the Lordship of Jesus Christ over your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that tonight, but more important, just as importantly, equally importantly, if you're a Christian, you've been listening to some of this modern gospel and you've lost your first love. Your heart has begun to grow cold toward your Savior and cold toward your fellow believer and cold toward humanity. Because you've been devaluing the love of God and the forgiveness of God. I want to give you an opportunity to repent tonight and make that right. How do you do that? Simply lift your hands. Confess your sin to God. Ask Him for the strength and the grace to turn away from it. To change your attitude. Ask Him to give you a new heart. And a new mind on this subject. Now, he'll give you the new heart. He'll lead you to scripture. You have got to get into the word. The new mind only comes by the renewing of your mind in scripture. God will give you the gift of a new heart. You need to solidify it and sanctify it. By getting into scripture and reading God's word to renew your mind. If you've never accepted the Lordship of Jesus Christ over your life and you want to take the first step toward that tonight you take that first step by doing a few simple things A. Admit that you are a sinner stop playing games you didn't make a couple mistakes you don't have some bad habits you are a sinner you lie because you're a liar you cheat because you're a cheater you have sex out of wedlock out of wedlock because you are fornicator you cheat on your husband or wife because you are an adulterer and you take credit for your own life because you are a thief who robs God be honest admit your sin B believe on the Lord Jesus Christ believe what? 
that he truly was a man who lived in the physical and yet truly is and was 100% God. That he went to that cross for your sin. That he died the death you deserved. And that he resurrected to prove his power over death. See, confess these things that you have believed. Confess them openly and publicly. When you're done praying and accepting God's lordship over your life, tell somebody, tell a few people, put it up in the chat room. Tonight, I made a decision. I want to walk with Jesus. I've invited God to come into my heart. I've invited him to send his Holy Spirit and to take over my life. I release the reins and whatever he tells me to do, I will do. I will find a church. I will fellowship. I will get baptized. I will read my word. I will pray every day. I will live the life that God wants me to live by his grace. Not because I want to or I know how to. But because I was forgiven much, so I love much. You go ahead and confess these things. You don't need me to do these things for you. This you do on your own. And then when you're done doing this, um, we have a live call in line. If you have questions, comments, if you need to talk to someone about anything you heard tonight, you need help, you can call that live call in line. We're going to open it up in a minute. Um, I also want to invite you. Um, No, I'm going to stop there. Go ahead and pray. I'm going to play that song again. If anyone needs to call in, that number is 646-721-9917. Again, that's 646-721-9917. If you need to call, go ahead and call now. Press option 1. That will get you in the calling queue. In the meantime, we're going to play... That song one more time. We're going to sing that song again, Forgiven. And then I'll come back. We'll talk for a moment. If anyone's called in, we'll deal with the calls. And if not, I'll bless and dismiss you in Christ's name. Let's worship for a moment. I've hidden in the garden 
have been six feet under I could have been lost forever Yeah, I should be in that fire But now there's fire inside of me Hallelujah. Brothers, sisters, friends, and saints, um, not a lot to announce tonight, just very quickly. If this ministry has been a blessing to you and you would like to support the work of KQC Ministries, um, we're going to take up our evening offering at this time. There are three ways that you can do that. All three ways are up in the chat room. You could either go to our website, kqcministries.org, Click on the Donate Now tab. You can use Zelle, PayPal, Pop Money, Quick Pay simply by using our email address, kqcministries at gmail.com, or you can write us the traditional way, KQC Ministries, care of Peter Torres, 97 Jefferson Street, Highland Mills, New York, 10930. All right. Brothers, sisters, friends, I'm looking and there doesn't seem to be anyone in the calling queue. I want to thank you in advance, those of you who give and support this ministry. Thank you. We truly appreciate your help. Can't do this without you. That's number one. Also remember, those of you who give have the blessing of those who, quote unquote, stayed with the stuff. You get the same blessing without doing what we do because we do what we do through your support and prayers. All right. Please continue to pray for us. I told you I'm not getting into details, but a lot of big changes coming to my life personally and to the ministry over this summer. There's a lot going on. We really appreciate and covet your prayers. We thank you for praying and supporting us. We thank God for the privilege of serving you. If during the week you have questions, you need prayer, you can simply text. Uh, you can simply text us at 845-553-0883. We'll get those messages. We'll text. We'll pray over them. We'll pray for you, intercede for you. Brothers, sisters, we love you. But you know that Jesus loves you far more. Thank you for joining us tonight, for being with us. The Lord bless and keep you always. Father, I pray for these who are yours. Bless them, guide them, help them, love them. 
They are precious to you, and so they are precious to us. Father, bless Brother Rick and Sister Brittany as their family expands and as you open these doors for them to minister to people in Pakistan. Remember also, Father God, our sister Daphne tonight is traveling and ministering abroad. Well, outside of her home. <laughs> she's still in the United States, but she's, I uh, believe, down in Texas. Father, help her. Strengthen her. Love her. Let her be aware of your love. And let your strength guide her. Father, I also pray for all these who joined us tonight. May not a one of us ever see our love grow cold. We, may we meet, remember the depth of our depravity. And in remembering the depth of our sin, become enthralled once again with the depth and grace and height and strength of your love and forgiveness so that we would love you more and more every day. We thank you for the honor and the privilege of being called your children. And we thank you tonight in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Brothers, sisters, friends, thank you for joining us. We love you. Jesus loves you. You have been blessed. Now go and be a blessing. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.